Friends, I wondered, what did Jesus hear that caused him to go get in a boat all by himself and go to a deserted place? If you will join with me in walking with Matthew's Jesus for a spell, might we discover the new normal that God intends? After a chapter-long seaside stretch, of teaching about the kingdom of heaven and parables of showing, of sowing seeds on ground receptive and rejective, of faith like a mustard seed or that of, of a bit of yeast and bread, or of separating weeds from wheat and bad fish from good fish, culminating in a synagogue rejection from his hometown of Nazareth, Jesus received news from the disciples of John the Baptist, the one who had proclaimed that in Jesus the kingdom of heaven is near. The one who had baptized Jesus was dead, imprisoned by Herod for criticizing his unlawful relationship with his brother's wife. John's head becomes a gift atop one of Herod's birthday dinner platters. Oh, this gruesome gift was not for Herod, as much as Herod wanted John dead. This gift was for a dancer, his stepdaughter, who you may remember danced so favorably for Herod that he gave her an extravagant and rash offer. This Herod, the son of Bethlehem, Herod the Great, who had slaughtered the innocents under Bethlehem's star, this Herod offered to his stepdaughter anything up to half of, do you remember what that was? Up to half of his kingdom. An oath to impress all his notable birthday guests. And as we remember, the dancer consulted her mother Herodias, who gave the response to Herod, I want here the head of John the Baptist on a platter having made his oath so unconditionally and in front of his guest, Herod complied, but not without a strangely sudden feeling of grief of doing so. So it was the news of John's head on a platter that moved Jesus to leave that side of Galilee where Herod's kingdom ruled, where his hometown synagogue cynics had rejected him, and moved to the east side of Galilee. And Jesus went by a boat to where the Gentiles lived. But Jesus did not go to another town. Jesus wanted to go to a desolate place to be alone. And this attempt to find solitude was the first that since Jesus had fasted 40 days in the desert and had warded off Satan's three temptations. The first you may remember was to turn stone into bread. May we wonder why Jesus left at this moment? By chapter 14 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus had already had 10 chapters of healing and teaching the multitude, calming storms, casting out demons, raising the dead, calling and sending out the disciples, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Not once during these 10 chapters does Jesus attempt to be alone. 
It was not the stubbornness of, and the conspiracies of, of the Pharisees that uh, made Jesus want to leave, nor was it the disciples slow to get at faith that would prompt Jesus to take a break. Oh, once in Capernaum did Jesus sit by the sea as seemingly to find rest, but crowd quickly gathered, and Jesus soon gave a boatside lesson on the parables of the kingdom of heaven. Rather, it was this one prophet's death, John the Baptist, by the hand of Herod's kingdom, that finally spurred Jesus to get away in a boat and take time out. As Jesus slowly crossed the Galilean Sea to a place of solitude, what was he thinking? There was no fleeting thought of a fireball act of God response to Herod's birthday feast of death. Did Jesus need to breathe air, fresh air, untainted by Herod's breath of foolish and insecure rule? There were no violent thoughts in Jesus to force a change of kingdom. Or did Jesus need to grieve the loss of John privately? and perhaps contemplate his own danger from Herod, who had been hearing reports of his ministry. We are told not what was on Jesus' mind, but once again, the crowd from Galilee's town followed Jesus' boat from the shore, interrupting any contemplative plan for solitude. When Jesus lands ashore, the crowds are there to meet him. And breaking contemplation, Jesus walks ashore. And we are told that Jesus feels compassion. A compassion experienced once before, five chapters earlier, when Jesus had healed so many who were harassed and, and helpless. A sheep without a shepherd, he commented. So great the need then that Jesus said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers few. With contemplation laid aside for compassion, Jesus cured the sick among the crowds who had followed him along Galilee's shore. And so engrossed in his healing work and so enthralled the people were that as the evening drew near, the disciples had to interrupt Jesus to say, look, we're in a deserted place. The hour is late. Send away the crowd so that they can go to the villages and, and find food and buy food for themselves. With scriptural echoes of Isaiah's wilderness prophecy of buying bread without money and manna memories of Moses' people in the 40-year wilderness, Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. The yet-to-get-it disciples said, we have nothing but five loaves and two fish. Bring me what you have, replied Jesus. And as bread is put in the hands of Jesus, we know not what the disciples are thinking, but we can imagine them puzzled what can Jesus do with five loaves for 5,000 
men plus women and children. And like the good shepherd, Jesus invited the crowd to lay down on the grass. And then Jesus took the bread and fish and looked to heaven, blessed the bread, broke the bread, and gave them to the disciples. And then following the example of their table host, the disciples distributed bread for all. And in contrast to Herod's kingdom feast of horror, Jesus' kingdom feast featured no manipulation for favors nor grisly sacrifice. The kingdom feast of Jesus offered plenty for all. Twelve baskets full of broken pieces were left over, signaling, one, that Jesus' kingdom feast has more than enough to satisfy hunger, and two, this miracle bread was so superior to the twelve tribe manna bread of Moses, which could not be collected nor preserved. The presence of Herod's cruel kingdom, ribbon with insecurity of food and health, was the normal. Yet Jesus' healing, compassion, and breaking of bread with all people is a sign of a new normal, a new kingdom. This kingdom breaking of bread would happen again in the next chapter of Matthew's gospel where after three days of healing, Jesus told his disciples, I have compassion for these people. They have been with me for three days with nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry for they may faint on the way. With the disciples' seven loaves and a few fish, Jesus broke bread again in a desolate place to feed 4,000 men and their women and children, again with food left over, filling seven baskets. And lastly, these breaking of bread wilderness feast foreshadowed for us the ultimate feast, the feast of Christ, as we recall that night before Jesus met his death by Herod's kingdom friend, Pontius Pilate. Do you remember what Jesus did? He took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples to remember him until he returns. And ever since that night, every time we meet to break bread and drink from the cup, we proclaim the new normal, the kingdom of heaven, a place where healing and compassion overcome the power of social disease and hardness of heart. A few nights ago, I was watching a story about Charles Ingalls, father of Laura Ingalls Wilder, author of Little House on the Prairie children's book, a wheat farmer, he had suffered the loss of two successive wheat crops to grasshoppers. A historian commented, Charles eventually had to sign a pauper's oath, a sworn statement declaring that he was essentially destitute 
which allowed him to receive two and a half barrels of flour to feed his family. The historian commented Ingalls struggled to maintain a living. The family hopped from town to town, sometimes under the cover of darkness to escape debt. And so embarrassing and traumatic that event, Laura Ingalls Wilder never wrote in any of her beloved children's books of her, of her beloved Paul taking a pauper's oath. I suppose there is some normal administrative reason for people to take a pauper's oath at that time of living in the prairie wilderness. But could we imagine Jesus in the Galilee wilderness instructing the crowd to take a pauper's oath and go to Herod for bread? Would we hear Jesus, Herod has food? No, of course not. Jesus would no more send us to Herod than he would turn stones into bread and become a rice bowl messiah. No, Jesus invites us to participate in a divine distribution of bread by blessing bread and putting bread into our hands, the action to act compassionately. It is Jesus' compassion that is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Compassion becomes action through the disciples' hands. Jesus need not ask if the people are hungry. Jesus' compassion perceives their need for daily bread. Compassion is God's grace in the flesh, grace incarnate. In the compassionate hands of Jesus, what little food the disciples gave was transformed into food enough for all. A new normal of hunger satisfied in Jesus' community. Of all the miracle stories of Jesus in the four Gospels, this story of feeding the multitudes as with the witness of Christ's death and resurrection. This is the only story that appears across the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, central to our gospel way of being then, is compassionate response to our neighbor's deepest needs, the hallmarks of a Christian, of being a Christian, is not whether we say Merry Christmas, but in compassionate response that meets the hunger of the heart, the hunger of the mind, the hunger of the stomach. I wonder, where do we see compassion today? Jesus had compassion on those harassed and helpless, those sick and hungry. Surely, during this pandemic, we have seen acts of compassion on our Lover's Lane campus, feeding nearly 143,000 individuals, some 411,000 pounds of free and fresh vegetables and fruit, rice and beans, of sewing face masks for our first responders and teachers. We have seen acts of compassion from our Walnut Hill campus, in responding and oversubscribing the request of $2,000 to $5,000 
assistance for the students at Thomas Jefferson High School, those who are homeless. Just this week, did you read of Olivia's compassion? Olivia is a 14-year-old Girl Scout in rural Tennessee who at age 11 began questioning the source of palm oil, an ingredient in the Girl Scout cookies that she was selling. She called attention to the Girl Scouts that Malaysian and Indonesian children of her age and younger were being taken out of school and trafficked into working Malaysia's palm oil plantation. Seeing and responding to children harassed and helpless, can we say that Olivia acted in Christ-like compassion? Though the massive building project of Herod's kingdom have long been poking through two millennia of sand, Herod's cruel kingdom of disease and food insecurity continues to pierce our humanity. The pandemic has exposed Herod's structures among us, such as disproportionate sickness and death among Native Americans and people of color. Will Jesus' compassion prompt us to make right unequal justice, make right inadequate health care, make right poor students ghosted from online classes because they have no internet access to online education, and to make right veterans made homeless by traumas of war untreated. Oh, I know what we might be thinking that, oh, Jesus, I, I don't have enough. It's just little old me in this big, awful situation. How can I make a difference to so many? But the Jesus who revealed himself in the breaking of bread says to us, bring me what you have. I love that. Bring me what you have, and I'll bless you to bless others. God is the compassionate source who feeds us, and in our hands are the compassionate means to feed all. Our bread, that work of human effort through hands and minds, is blessed and multiplied by Jesus. On this last Sunday of Christmas and first Sunday of 2021, may we, by God's grace, live into Jesus' new kingdom normal of compassion. I invite us to consider our covenant with God this new year by praying a modern version of John Wesley's covenant prayer a version which comes to us from a website called Hacking Christianity. Would you pray with me? I am not my own self-made, self-reliant human being. In truth, O oh God, I am yours. Make me into what you will. Make me a neighbor with those whom you will. Guide me on the easy path for you. Guide me on the rocky road for you. 
whether I am to step up for you or step aside for you, whether I'm being lifted up high for you or brought low for you, whether I become full or empty with all things or with nothing, I give all that I have and all that I am for you. So be it, and may I always remember that you, O oh God, and I belong to each other. Amen.